Well, welcome again to WordServe. My name is Pastor Bill. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I would love to meet you afterwards. I'll be right over at the door there. I'm thinking if we get like a trumpet and a saxophone, we can be Chicago WordServe. <laughs> We're working on that. If anybody plays, let us know. I'm also very excited because we are starting a brand new sermon series, and this one is a good one. It's to my friend who left the faith. Now, I don't know if you have a friend that has left the faith. Maybe they haven't really left the faith, but maybe they've left the church. There are a variety of reasons, but the statistics are clear and undeniable. For the first time since they've been measuring, I've, I've used this statistic before, America is less than 50% Christian. Now, if that doesn't make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, it should. And here's why. Imagine a world without Christ. And you don't have to look far. Look in the Old Testament. You've got all kinds of examples where people abandoned God. And what was the result? Then when they, you follow that phrase, they did what was right in their own eyes. And it did not go well. And nor will it go well if we allow that to continue. So my plea to us this morning is to think about that friend who has left the faith. So we're going to have a series of four things that we're going to talk about. Today we're going to talk about they left. Who's right? Oh, come on, I worked on that one. <laughs> the next one is, I doubt it, mean people, and then why? These are questions that people often ask when they leave the faith. Now, you say, Bill, why didn't you tell me I would have invited a friend who left the faith so they could hear what you had to say? I want you to do that for the rest of this series. I want you to bring someone who maybe has left the faith or is not maybe attending church like they should. You know, and what is should? It's more about the matter of the heart. I'm not going to like track you down in your attendance record. I will give you a gold star for perfect attendance, but I'm not going to track you down. But here's the thing. If you don't spend time in regular relationship with Christ, it's easy to forget that he's there. Does he forget us? Absolutely not. Never. But do we forget him? Man, every day. And I am chief among you there. So today, they left who's right. I really just wanted to talk to us first. Because if we don't get us right and we invite people into this, they're not going to have any better experience than whatever de-churched them in the first place. So today is about us. How do we get ourselves right? Because a lot of times when people leave the faith, we can kind of be judgmental, can we not? Oh, they're not, yeah, yeah they're not going to church anymore. Did you, did you know that they haven't stopped? Did you see what they did? Do you see how they're living? Yeah, it, it's an easy line to cross, and it's not our line to cross. So I want to talk about us. How do we get ourselves right to accept all these people who have left the faith and provide them a welcome mat back to Jesus, right? All right, so here we go. Uh, I, how many people wear glasses, right? Or contacts, good. How many people's prescription is perfect? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Three out of what? Man, what are they teaching doctors these days? Seriously? So I, I had a, a friend of mine... Uh, You'll appreciate this story. He is an Air Force F-15 pilot, and uh, he had to get glasses after he was all qualified. So you have to carry a pair, and you can wear contacts, and he preferred that. Just, it was much easier. So they're up air refueling. They, they all wait their turn. They go up and underneath the boom, and then they slide off, and they fly formation. Well, he's number four, so he's watching everybody else get gas. And by the way, if he doesn't get the gas, he doesn't make it back home. Kind of a big deal, all right? So he's waiting. He's number four. Guess what happens? One, pump, one contact popped out. Now, this was at night, air refueling, real close to another aircraft. So he's panicking. Number three is on the boom. It's his turn next, and he just lost a contact. So he's like, uh, neither one's going to work because you lose death perception. Have you ever tried that? Lose, you close one eye, you lose death perception pretty quick. Try putting toothpaste on your, on your uh, toothbrush, that thing, yeah. 
to close one eye or try putting your toothpaste on your toothbrush. You'll experience this, right? So he always had to carry an extra pair of glasses in the pocket. That was an Air Force requirement. So he has this brilliant idea. He gets his glasses out. He pops out one lens and puts it on. It's like, yes. <laughs> so he, free, he flies the whole story. He forgets that he's wearing these glasses because it just becomes a natural part of you. He's walking back into the squatter, and some guy looks at him and goes, dude, rough sortie? <laughs> and a call sign was born. Forevermore, henceforth, he shall be named Popeye. Right? So, so that's how this works. <laughs> But a lot of times, what we see, it clearly, it makes a big difference. It can make all the difference. But it's not just about seeing, and that's what I want to get to today. We see people that have left the faith. We see people that have left the church. But what do we perceive? And that's what the big, big thing is for today. Two people can look at exactly the same thing and absolutely disagree. Is this nine or is this six? Who's right? Well, they both are. It just depends on your perspective. So what I want to do today is tweak our perspective because I have this idea, a crazy idea, this formula. It's not what we see, it's what we perceive. Do you understand the difference? Like I can see something, but it's how I perceive that thing. Two people can look at the same thing and perceive it differently. But that perception typically leads to some emotion. And that emotion then guides our behaviors and reactions, unless you're a robot. Anybody here a Borg? You're, you're not going to admit it if you are, right? Yeah, because you know how the movie ends, right? So perception leads to emotion. Emotion leads to actions. And the story that we're going to talk about today uh, deals directly with this. It's the prodigal son. And I know everybody in the, is thinking, oh, man, I've heard this story a million times. Don't check out on me. Maybe you haven't heard it this way before. But to introduce this idea, uh, this is a famous painting by Rembrandt. It is the prodigal son. And you can see the father is hugging the, the prodigal son. You can see he's in ragged clothes. He has one shoe on, one off, and one is rotting. And then look over at the right. Who do you think that is on the right? It's the older brother. Yeah, yeah. So you really have three main characters here. You got the prodigal son, you got the father, and then you got the older son. Now, church, for today, I want to tell the story from the perspective of the older son. Because if we sit in judgment of those who have left the church, we have a tendency to become that older son. And it's not healthy for anyone. So I, I have a proposal. We're going to apply this formula in a new way and see how we can make this, that welcome mat back to Jesus for those who have left the church, been de-churched, or have left the faith. Deal? Deal. Deal. All right, here we go. So the setting for this is going to be uh, the prodigal son is, is told in the book of Luke. And the setting is just before this, the Pharisees have been hounding Jesus Say, why do you hang out with tax collectors and sinners? And, and you know how Jesus feels about this. But in, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus then goes into three parables, and they're all about something that is lost. The first thing that is lost is a sheep. The shepherd goes after the one and leaves the 99. The second one is about a coin, the widow who lost one coin out of the 10 that she had, and she did everything she could to find that coin. And then the third is this story, a lost son. So you see, we've gone from sheep to money, to human beings. And, and church, don't let, never let us forget that, that we're dealing with human beings, human souls. They're flawed, uh, just like me. They misread things, just like me. They have perceptions that I might not agree with. But once we have the light of truth, we can see fully who Jesus is. And, and my main goal is to provide a way to welcome them home, or welcome us home. If you're struggling with doubt today, that's okay. You're in the right place. 
So here's where we're reading Luke chapter 15. I'm going to have uh, Chad run my slides so I can read because I can't do them both. I mean, I could, but it's, it doesn't work well. My lips move when I read because <clears throat> I'm reading out loud. <laughs> anyway, all right. <clears throat> so here's what's happened. The son has squandered his inheritance. The prodigal has squandered his inheritance. He's come running home. The older son has been working diligently in the field. He hears there's a party going on. He says, hey, what's going on? And he finds out his younger brother, the prodigal, has come home. Dad has given him a robe, killed the fatted calf, having a big party. And how do you think he feels about this? Let's tune in. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called on the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. These are the words of God, for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Did you catch the older brother's perception? You can catch it in his language, right? It's like when your child does something great, you say, my daughter made the honor roll. And when your daughter does something terrible, you go to your spouse and you say, your daughter was acting up in class, <laughs> right? Did you catch it? Your son who has squandered this property. So he's very judgmental of his brother and rightfully so, man. He's messing with the family inheritance. This, hurt, this cuts close to home for this older brother. So he has a right to be maybe upset or angry, but it's not that he has this moment of anger, it's that he carries this through. And this is what I want to highlight, because when, we, when you start to look at the, the idea, whoops, <laughs> I think I double tapped. There we go. When you start to look at the language, it's all about I, 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 I. I have been slaving away. I have never disobeyed you. By the way, do you catch the absolutes in the language? I occasionally disobeyed you. <laughs> no, I never. I never cross the line, really. Seriously? You can always tell when somebody's on a tirade by the absolutes. They say things like, you always, I never. That's not true for anybody, really. Uh, well, unless your name's Jesus Christ. But, so I and you language is very, very prominent. But here's what I begin to see. This, this formula that, that I have noticed through the scripture begins to appear again because his brother's perception is this guy is a loser. He has squandered everything. He's irresponsible. And I have been doing all the work around here. I should get everything. Well, that leads to the emotion of anger. And then, like I said, it's not that he became angry, it's that he stayed angry. So watch what happens. Emotion leads to actions. What actions result as a result of his anger? Does he go and join the party? Does he celebrate? Does he grow into be a grumpy old man? Yeah. <laughs> 
right? We don't know because the story ends there, and that's the point. That's the point. We don't have the answer at the end. Jesus is very good at asking that question, planting that seed, and then just letting your mind tick on that. Whatever happened to that guy? He was so angry all the time, so bitter. Did life drag him down? Did he show up on Dr. Phil one day? I don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that look at, what, look at the actions. There's a giant party, like a party of epic proportions going on, and he's not there. He's not celebrating. He's not welcoming his brother home. So who is this hurting? Who is this anger hurting? Him. Yeah, himself. Absolutely. That old saying like, uh, you know, being bitter and angry is like drinking poison and waiting for someone else to die, right? It doesn't work that way. This anger and this emotion is causing separation. Now, does that sound like Jesus? Is Jesus the master of separation? No, Jesus is the master of reparation. And he's gotten that wrong. One letter, how we see one letter in the word makes all the difference. Jesus isn't about separation. He's about reparation. And if I am a follower of Christ, then I too should be about that. I should be about welcoming. I should be about celebrating. But sometimes the judgment, and maybe it's not anger for you. Maybe it's just indifference. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe I just don't care. Maybe I'm too tired. Maybe I'm too busy. You can fill in your own blank. We all have it. And I'm not accusing us. I'm just observing us. And by the way, I observe myself in that process too, because sometimes, more than I care to admit, I'm the older brother. But that's not where I want to end up, and that's not where I want us to end up. Now, we can get a, a good glimpse at how this works in a different way by looking at the language of the Father. The you and me, he's always inclusive with his language. He always talks about the reconciliation between the older son and the younger son. Did you notice when the older son was mad, he stayed out in the field, and he was not going to come in? So how did he get the invite from the father? The father went to him. See, church, we can't sit here and go, hey, we've got wonderful snacks. We've got the best coffee going. We've got a band that sounds just like Chicago. You should come. No, we have to go out into the community and invite them into the party for whatever they're dealing with, whether they're too busy, whether they're too angry, whatever, it doesn't matter. But we go to them. We don't wait for them to come to us. That's playing defense, and you know how I feel about that. So look at the Father's language. It, it, you, me, uh, everything I have is yours, he says. Like, what have I ever withheld from you? <laughs> Why the bitterness? And then he probably went to his spouse and said, your son is not coming to the party. No, I'm kidding. All right, so the perception from the father's point is, my son, who was dead and is now alive, has come home. We should celebrate. This is a great occasion. And, and that emotion is gratitude and joy. And that gratitude and joy is, results in the best party they've seen in years. Church, why couldn't that be the same for us? Why couldn't we have that party every time somebody comes back to the church or comes to the church for the first time? We're not discriminatory that way. It can be anybody. But it takes the right perception. It takes us getting there. Now, the key verse in this whole process to me is this one right here. And I want, even inside the verse, there's a key phrase. When the father says to the older son, everything I have is yours. Now, substitute the father for Jesus for just a second and substitute the older son for you. In other words, Jesus is saying to you, everything I have is yours. Is it? 
What is it that Jesus has to offer? Oh, uh, eternal life floating on a cloud, strumming a harp one day to be determined. And if that's what we think, man, we have missed the boat. That's, that's a fraction of what Jesus has to offer. Yes, it's eternity, and that's a long ways off. But what does Jesus offer me right now? Well, I could think of a few things, and I bet you could too. How about, I don't know, peace that passes understanding? How about forgiveness and grace? How about the ability to take me out of that miry pit and set me on the solid ground where I can stand firm, unshaken by this world? What about a yoke that is easy, a burden that is light? What about the fruit of the Spirit? Who doesn't need gentleness, joy, self-control, patience? And I could go on, and you could too. That's what Jesus offers me right now. Everything I have is yours. And so as I look at my life, I question, why don't I have that then? Why don't I always exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? Why don't I feel that peace that passes understanding? Why don't I feel like I'm on solid ground? And it's not that Jesus isn't giving it. It's that I'm not acknowledging it. It's my perception. When I forget what Jesus has done for me, and by the way, is doing for me, my attitude tends to change. I, I tend to go towards kind of uh, mild indifference. I don't get angry too often, but more mild indifference. I don't know what your emotion that blocks you and Jesus is. Everybody has a, a, a myriad of them. But that's what does it for me. But when I think about what's available right now, what Jesus has done for me, then my attitude changes, my perception changes. So how does this fit into to this process? Well, here's the thing. We need to fix our perception, church, of ourselves and of others. And it starts with this, this thing that we have. Everybody's born with it. It's the ego. It's the, it's the fallen nature, the self lens through which we look. Everything's about me. And I serve the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I right? It's got to be about me. So if you say something, I, I take that as, well, what does that mean to me? If you do something, well, what does that mean to me? Even if it had nothing to do with me, I'll make it about me because I'm that good, right? So this self-lens that we look at, we've been doing this all wrong. You remember how I said one letter in a word can change the meaning from separation to reparation? Check this one out. One letter changes Selfless. That's the lens that we have to look through, not the self lens. Selfless means I look outside of myself. And it starts, by the way, with God Himself and His Son Jesus Christ. When I look at them and I see what the other has done for me, everything changes. Everything changes. For example, if we go back to our formula in a selfless way, my perception is that Jesus died for me. And by the way, you can fill in the blank there too. He died for you too. And, and here's the thing that always gets me. He knows everything that I've done and ever will do. He knows what a rotten, terrible human being I am. And he chose to die anyway. Did he have to? No. Did he owe anything? No. Did he pay everything? Yes. For me and you. How can you not have gratitude for that? Now, anger may still come in there because of other things and other perceptions, but the bottom line, the baseline that I start with is gratitude for what has been done and what is given to me in this moment. With gratitude, then, that's my perception, then, and the, or excuse me, that's my emotion. Now my emotion leads to actions. What, do you, what kind of actions come out of gratitude? <laughs> Kindness. 
So I, I should have warned the new people. I like to talk with you, not at you, right? You can participate. You can yell back. So what kind of attitudes come from, or what kind of actions, excuse me, come from gratitude? Compassion, kindness, grace, humility. Now, many of these may not sound exciting to you, but I'll guarantee you this is the kingdom of God here on earth. This is how people see Christ, not through our anger, not through our bitterness or our rage. They see it through these things. So I ask you as a Jesus follower, which is a better approach? Which perception slash emotions should we be harboring? See, I'm convinced that this is the reason that the Bible says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor. Because I challenge you to start with your neighbor. Start with your neighbor. Forget about God. Start with your neighbor and try and love like Jesus and tell me how long that lasts. Right? Because your, your perceptions and your emotions, if you just start with a neighbor, are going to be short-lived. I'm just telling you, this is human nature. But if we start with God, and we have the gratitude for what's been done and what he's doing in my life, and then we try to love neighbor, it's going to go a whole bunch better. How do I know this? Because I've tried. I've tried to will it. I've tried to say, no, I'm just going to be like Jesus. <laughs> that lasted, well, let's see, about 50 minutes now, so I'm doing great. It doesn't last that way, but it does the other way. So how do we fix this? We take that selfless song. Now, let me say this to you today. If you happen to be the older brother in the crowd, and, and I am chief among you again, let me give you some encouragement. One small shift in our perception led by the Holy Spirit can make all the difference. This can be a place of redemption, of reparation, not separation. This can be a place that gives hope, that brings joy. This can be a place <clears throat> that huddles around those who are suffering and lifts them up. This can be the place that takes us out of that miry pit and sets us on solid ground for life, for eternity, not just for a moment. That is all possible with one small shift in our perception. That's my encouragement to the older brother. If you're the prodigal this morning, maybe you've been that one, or, or maybe you're contemplating it even now as I speak. Let me tell you this. There is nothing that you can do Nothing, nothing <clears throat> that you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. This altar that is open stays open. He doesn't close it down because of what you've done. He dies in your place to make it open. So if you are the prodigal this morning, hear this word of hope. There's nothing that you can do that nullifies Jesus' invitation to come home. So come home. That's my hope <laughs> as we go forward and just realizing that what we see makes a difference, but what we perceive makes a world and an eternity of difference. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the gift that allows the altar to be open, the gift that redeems us, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. God, I pray that we would rejoice in that, that our attitude would be one of gratefulness and our actions would reflect your son, Jesus Christ, guided by the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.